1: It was when you came on your official visit They played like the old school movie With the four horsemen And
2: uh, the old school Notre Dame And you got the
0: And there's a now that's
2: a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there.
1: If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man,
0: it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll that always be the same. Well, I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you're probably cost me around a drink.
1: From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, an Indy Insider podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indy Insider and the South Bend Troop. Notre Dame football officially has a starting quarterback with Wisconsin grad transfer Jack Cohn winning the competition and shifting the preseason conversation to other areas of the team. The wide receiver position has been receiving a lot of praise, and a few players from Hawaii are expected to play important roles on the defense this year. That means only one man could be the perfect guest for this specific podcast, and that's former Notre Dame wide receiver Robbie Toma. Robbie, thanks for joining us.
2: Ah, no problem. I appreciate you guys having me.
1: Robbie, just to start, how much pride do you have in seeing how many players from Hawaii that are on Notre Dame's roster?
2: I mean, not, it's not only pride that they're there, um, it's that how well they're doing, you know, um, especially for a guy like me. And also, you know, the late Kona, who's one of my best friends. Yeah, I think most Hawaii kids that have gone to Notre Dame have definitely outplayed their expectations. So, um, you know, it just it, it's, it's exciting to see these kids really developing and, and uh, uh, becoming, you know, all-stars. You know, Alohi was there. So it's, it's, it's just nice to see.
0: Maris Leofau, I think, is the, the one that you're most familiar with. Um, he was a real late take in his recruiting class, but Notre Dame was adamant about getting him in that class. And we're starting to kind of see why they were so high on him. What's kind of your expectations? What's, what do you feel like his potential is at Notre Dame?
2: Well, I, I think for me, I will never take any credit for Maris going to Notre Dame. The, The kid is outstanding and, and was outstanding in high school so um you know for me I think you know you know he was a little thin in high school and that's funny you know me saying that as small as I am <laughs> uh, so I understood but I think it was just you know somebody needed to take a shot on him because the kid has a motor and um competitive edge like I've you know I've never seen Robbie you mentioned the
1: the concept of sort of Notre Dame guys from Hawaii sort of exceeding their expectations. Why do you think that is?
2: I mean, it's not to say anything bad about any other state or whatnot, but it, I think everybody can agree there's a different mindset, and um, ah, it's, it's it's hard. I don't want to you know upset anybody in other states, <laughs> but sure. there's. There's just there's something about the game of football and the culture that we were grown around and and just learned to love and respect and um, that's just a way to you know make our families proud and, and the state proud so again not to take anything away from any other state but you know the Polynesian culture is, is something that is very special and um, you know I've really never heard a bad word about any Polynesian kid or kid from Hawaii that's gone to Notre Dame or frankly any other school so um, you know it's not just Notre Dame it's it's the whole state that that's really coming up and it's just a a joy to see these kids really performing.
1: Yeah I was I was curious if there's anything specific about Notre Dame that maybe brings that out of those kids as well is it something to do with maybe the pipeline of guys that you have and sort of trying to live up to the, the reputation that the the Hawaii guys that have come before them have made or or just maybe just, yeah,
2: I, I, other mean, guys. I think, I think it's just being around not only from an athletic standpoint, but from an academic standpoint, you're expected, you know, more. And, you know, if you're, if you're not doing well in the classroom, it's, it's frankly, it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, I'm not going to speak on any other schools, but, uh, you know, I just remember that because, you know, Puno challenged us when, you know, we were in high school and and so, you know, I had a, a leg up at, uh, you know, going to Notre Dame from an academic standpoint, but then you look at a guy like Kona who went to a school that's not really known for um, academics and, you know, he was out of study hall the first semester. So um, it's just, you know, the, the people that you're surrounded with and the expectations outside of football that I think really make. Uh, Notre Dame such a special place
0: you know I I was wondering too a lot of the ways that people get the star ratings and stuff is jumping you know over to the mainland and doing camps and you know taking unofficial visits and that kind of stuff it would seem like very expensive very difficult logistically for Hawaii high school kids to do that did you find that to be true
2: uh, I, I'm sorry, just to like logistically, just to get there,
0: from, yeah, uh, you know, the expense,
2: the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, I was lucky. My parent, my dad is a longtime flight attendant. You know, he just made like, I think 33 years. So, uh, it's kind of funny, uh, because, you know, a lot of people have flight benefits and whatnot, family members. So if there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, my parents never visited unless it was a football game. So they had plenty of time to save up and whatnot. <laughs> so it's really, it's really not that, that bad, but, um, you know, what's a flight to Chicago. It's just, you know, two sandwiches and you're there.
1: <laughs> Robbie, we, uh, on a bit of a somber note, we saw Notre Dame come together in the last week or so to support Myron Tangabaloa Mosa following the death of his father, What does that say about the impact that he has made on this team and and the culture that this team has that they've sort of embraced him and and sort of helped him through this?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've developed quite a a good relationship with coach Elston over the past couple of years. So, um, you know, and also I have a great relationship with most of the staff and um, I've never heard, again, I've never heard a bad thing about Myron and, you know, obviously I haven't been there, but, you know, when I have come to visit, I've heard faculty, you know, speak highly of, you know, guys like Myron. And it's just, that's something that as a son, you cannot ever uh, plan, not plan for, but prepare for. And, um, you know, to see how Myron's taking it in stride and just really becoming the leader of his family is special. And um, it's, it's awesome to see his teammates, um, you know, surround him and, and care for him as well.
0: Just wanted to get a little bit of your thoughts about a couple of the younger players. Kahanu Kia, I don't think he had much of a high school season in the spring because of COVID. And then Jordan Botello, who is, there's a lot of high expectations for him playing defensive end after playing linebacker in Hawaii.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, similar to Maris, I had I had the pleasure of coaching against Maris as well as, um, Kahanu. And there's, you know, you can see something special in a kid and you see a motor, you see a a drive and, you know, one of my favorite Kahanu stories is, you know, seeing his dad posting videos of them doing drills with a shoulder pads and no Jersey. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to how I was raised and, um, and you just see a, a, a love for the game that Kahanu has. And, you you know, sh- not sure this year how much he's, you know, going to get on the field, but um, he's definitely going to be a name over, over the next couple of years. So, um, and then Botello, I had opportunity to coach against him while he was at St. Louis. And, uh, oh, man, he was a nightmare. We had no idea how to how to try to stop that kid. He could he, – Uh, defended one of our best athletes in space and we sacked our quarterback in less than like a half a second. It seemed like, so, uh, you know, it was definitely made me a better coach, but I'm I'm glad the Irish got both those kids.
1: (laughs) Robbie to to switch the conversation over to wide receiver play. That has been one of the storylines of preseason camp for Notre Dame so far with a lot of seniors sort of battling it out to sort of finally get a chance to prove themselves this year. I'm curious, mm-hmm. what, what was the most challenging adjustment for you in terms of playing wide receiver at the college level?
2: Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to pinpoint one exact thing, but it it all just came down to just, you know, trusting the system. Not necessarily the system. It's not like Notre Dame's running a system, but, you know, just do your job. That's That was kind of... My mindset, even when I was in high school and I was kind of the go to guy, um, you know, I do take pride in, in how I conducted myself. I obviously like Uncle Rico, wish I had a little bit more passes my way, but uh, I, I definitely take pride in how I conducted myself and supported my teammates. And, um, you know, we were obviously able to have a successful year because of the um, unselfishness our team had. Um, you know, not just my senior year, but, you know, throughout my entire college career. How much, how much, how big
1: of a difference was there in your confidence level maybe by the time you were a senior as opposed to your previous years?
2: I remember Robert Blanton. Yep. So, but my freshman year before camp, Blanton had asked me and Shaq Evans to come out and run routes. Uh, And I think rj caught more balls than Shaq and i did and and but i remember it it shifted my mindset and i actually from not just for me but you know talks with teammates that i had one of the best camps of anybody that year and i think that was the switch that needed to go off and yeah i mean shoot it was you got our i don't know if you guys remember rj but he used to talk a lot
0: so yeah yeah uh,
2: You know, it it was embarrassing, but – and then, you know, when I was a senior, I was kind of the one doing the talking, and, uh, you know, it's probably difficult for a defender to hear a little 5'9 kid from Hawaii, you know, talking smack. So, uh, I definitely learned a little bit from RJ over the years.
0: RJ talked so much. This was – I guess you would have been on the team then. They were – I'm trying to remember – it might've been the year before you got there. They're playing down at North Carolina. Yeah, it was before you got there. They're playing down at North Carolina. It was that, that was his freshman year. Right. And he is from the Carolinas. And as we we're going down to do interviews, we we're walking kind of past the Notre Dame bench and I could hear him chirping. And he was, uh, he said, you know why they wear uh powder blue uniforms. And then he had an, um, uh, answer to it that I can't say on a podcast, uh, but, but and Notre Dame was losing. Uh, so uh, he definitely um, liked to talk.
2: RJ, RJ could get burned. And if the receiver dropped the ball, he'd celebrate like, like he had something to do with it. But no, I got, I got nothing but love for RJ. And, and you know, he played a huge role in, in how I matured as a collegiate
0: football player. The interesting part about your career, too, for me was that, you know, your sophomore year, Chris ends up being the starter and then Tommy has to come in at the end of the year. Then in 2011, you know, they kind of had the battle and Tommy took over. And then in 2012, Golson starts and Tommy's kind of the closer. <laughs> but yeah. But the thing was, it seemed like when Tommy was in the game, he was looking for you. It seemed like that chemistry was there now. What, am I imagining that or just the fact that I you mean, guys – I mean, I don't want to speak for Tom, but
2: I think it stems to how much pride we took in our two-minute drill. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were running with the twos, you know, we were scoring, from what I remember, mm-hmm. more than the ones. Mm-hmm. And – you know, just, it was, I think it was me, Tommy, John, maybe Danny Smith. And, uh, you know, we used to talk crap to the, to the ones cause they couldn't get it done. So, um, no, I mean, you know, obviously they could, but it was just, we had that connection from, from being roommates as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know, I remember when we played against Tulsa, I got in like the middle of the second quarter and he threw me a, 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 dig. I think that was one of my first catches that year, which was, you know, pretty awesome. And, um, you know, Tommy just had uh, trust in me and, and I always appreciated it.
1: Robbie, what's it been like to see Tommy sort of grow into this role as the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, obviously doing most of that from afar, but I'm curious what your perspective on that is. I
2: mean, I, I got nothing, but, um, you know, just just happiness for the guy. I mean, I I watched him get booed in a stadium that he loved and, you know, taking us to victory. And, you know, I, I see people writing, you know, whatever it is about him and just somebody who really loves the game and is a student of the game and really cares for the university and can connect to the kids on levels most coaches can't. Um, I just, I'm proud of the guy. He's, he's doing a phenomenal job and, um, you know, he'll, he'll always be, he'll always be, um, Tommy gun to me, but I know he's coach Tom now, so we gotta, you know, reel that in, but no, I'm just, I'm just so happy for the guy and, and for the entire staff and also for coach Kelly. I mean, he did a lot of, um, I mean, I wouldn't say growing because, you know, that sounds like I'm older than him. But, you know, he, he went through a lot and, and, and I'm, I'm just happy for him. And, um, and just for, you know, for everybody that that's along and, oh man, I, I miss that place so
0: much and I, I can't wait to get back. Do you ever run into Manti? Are you guys still tight?
2: Yeah, no, I, I talked to Manti the other night, actually. He just had his baby. Oh, um, <laughs> he was home for a little bit. We, you know, we got to catch up and, um and it's it's crazy how, how
0: time flies what's he up to these days and did he have a little boy or a little girl
2: a little girl um and you know his wife Jovi had uh had a uh, I wouldn't say rough but they had to do an emergency c-section and baby's healthy mom's healthy um you know i think he's just enjoying a little peace and quiet for once because, you know, not only, you know, our senior year madness, but his whole life he's been in the starlight So yeah. our spotlight. So it's good for him to just kind of tone down and enjoy his family.
0: If I remember right, he had a little brother that wasn't little. I mean, he was like five or something, and he was like – you could tell he was going to be a big – Oh, yeah, Manassa. Yeah, yeah, Manasseh. What – have, have we seen, you know, have we seen Manasa play football yet? I think Manasseh is a sophomore or junior now. Okay.
2: Um, you know, he's, he is such a good kid and it's so nice. I mean, I'm like his, you know, what they would consider Hanai brother. So, uh, you know, just, I've, you know, used to, pretty much change his diapers, and, mm-hmm. uh, carry him. So to see him grow into the man he has uh, and uh, he's starting to love the game of football and he's really training hard and taking to it. So I'm excited to see what's in store for Manasseh. Um Again, I haven't really seen him play, but you know, his, his dad and, and his brother are coaching him. So I think he'll be in good hands.
1: Robbie, you mentioned sort of missing Notre Dame, and we've been talking a lot about watching Notre Dame play. I'm curious, the farther you get away from your Notre Dame career, has it changed the way you watch games? Do you miss it more? Or do you get more invested in it, or are you less invested in it?
2: I wouldn't say less invested. I just, um, after actually coaching, I get it now, you know? Um, and, I, and I've had, you know, conversations with – a lot of the coaches I've had over the past years, even once who have left, left Notre Dame. And, um, you know, it's just funny to kind of reflect mm-hmm. on some stories and I think I'm a lot less critical of, of kids as well. Cause I remember, you know, there's, if a kid messes up, there's nobody in that stadium who is more upset than that kid. So, um, and then, you know, if a coach makes a bad call or, or you know, whatnot, just, I, I think I've, matured in that sense where I'm not really a a quarterback coach anymore or couch quarterback anymore (laughs) Uh, but I just I just try to sit and enjoy the games and whether the kids win or lose I I take pride in, in knowing that you know they take pride in their school
0: last one from me Robbie can you catch us up on your two little ones and also what you're doing with your life right now
2: yeah, I have um I have a 2-year-old daughter her name's Mila and she just started, you know, pre-preschool but oh man my poor son who's 3 months old his name's Jet ooh he better be tough cuz this girl is nuts <laughs> uh, I I love her to death but she's she's a she's a tough one but no it's just been um you know, I've always wanted to be a father, and it, it even now, it still sounds weird saying that I'm a father, but, <laughs> um, you know, those two are the light of my life, and, you know, I got a wonderful fiancé, and, um, you know, our, I think we're done with kids for at least a while, but, uh, no, my son, my son, Jet, if he's slow, I'm going to change his name to Tank, so uh, <laughs> we, got, we got that in, in, the, in the works, but... <laughs> No, I'm just I'm just excited to be a dad and um you know take care of two little rascals.
1: All right, that's all we have for you, Robbie. We really appreciate you taking time to catch up with us and sharing your insight with us.
2: Absolutely. So good to see you guys and uh you know, I just appreciate everything you guys have done and, and the good things you've said about me, but no, I'm just messing. Uh much love to you guys and take care. Aloha, go Irish.
1: All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Since Hawaii is on our mind this week, I thought we could do some Hawaiian-themed prop bets. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under five and a half sacks for Myron tonga amosa
0: You start off with a really difficult one. (laughs) You know, his... I think he had a half a sack a couple of years ago and then two and a half last year. He's playing a different position. He's 260 pounds and really looking lean and strong. So there's, it's kind of a trap question. <laughs> and, and that position has been pretty um, productive in terms of sacks, that big end position. But this is a different scheme. I'm going to go under. I think he's going to have an inordinate amount of tackles for loss, but not necessarily sacks. So I'll go under.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with over, though. I'm not sure that's going to go a lot over. This was this was a. After I set this line, I was like, "Man, this is." I think this is even a harder line than I had thought it was going to be. Five and a half is actually what Khalid Kareem had as a senior. Um, Ade Ogundeji had seven last year, Um, so he would need to. Obviously, and that was with one less game than what Myron could be able to play this year, or two if they make it to the national championship. But um, I think, uh, in my opinion, I, I will I will go that slightly over. Um, I think he I, I, I've liked what I've seen from Myron so far at that position, um, and I think he's going to be able to create some pass rush. Um, and I think he's really embraced that that switch as well. So he will he will get over five and a half sacks this year. Next one I have for us is
0: over under sixty tackles for Maris Leofau. Well, I I certainly think it's in the realm of the possibility. If you look at last year's Notre Dame stats, there were four players that were around sixty, in one less game than what they're going to probably play this year, and two of them were linebackers. You had uh, Jeremiah and Drew White, and then you had a couple of safeties. I'm going to go under. I think Marist is going to have a a good year for them. I think he's going to show up in some, you know, in the turnover categories, maybe, or in, in disruptive categories. I'm not sure about the volume of tackles, especially since there's kind of five guys rotating through those two positions. I, I'm just I just don't know that he's gonna have the volume of snaps to get to 60. So I I would say. Under the other thing that kind of leads me to that. I looked at how Cincinnati's stats stacked up last year and there mm-hmm. three of their linebackers were their top three tacklers, but only one was over 60. Now they only played 10 games. Uh, but I think I'm safe going under. All right, I'm going under as well. I think I, I agree with you. There's, there's going to
1: be so many linebackers playing that. I think it will keep the numbers down. Um, but I, I do expect a big season for him. I don't want this to be a reflection of like yeah. my expectations for him this year. I'm just, I'm a little uncertain of how all those tackles will be will, will be spread about like Cincinnati, the top three tacklers were linebackers. I know like two years ago under Clark Lee, I think each of the starting three starting linebackers had like close to 80 sacks in Notre Dame's defense or 80 tackles in, in Notre Dame's defense. Um, so I'm curious to see how that sort of plays out. If, if the, a lot of the tackles are funneled to the linebackers in, in what Marcus Freeman wants to do, or if there's, there's guys sort of all over the field making tackles and um, they're spread out a little bit. And obviously, like we mentioned, the depth at linebacker, they're not going to need to rely on just three linebackers from, from the first snap to the last snap every game like they'd have at times in the past. Next one I have for us is over under nine and a half tackles for a loss for Jordan Batello.
0: Well, I think he's capable of it. Um, last year, the only person that was above nine and a half, and again, it's in only 12 games with Jeremiah was Moa and Drew White was just behind at nine, and then Foskey was at five. That He wasn't next, but he was at five, and he's going to share time there. I, I don't know. I just think their tackles for loss are going to come from so many different places. I don't know that Jordan is going to get up to 10, so I'm going to go under.
1: Man, you're being really negative on the Hawaii guys. I, I'm going to be a good thing Robbie is no longer still on the podcast to hear this, but <laughs> I, I'm going with under as well. I, I'm not ready to push my chips all in on a big season from, from Jordan Battelle yet. I think he should have the opportunities to do so, um, but I just I want to see a little bit more of that to feel, feel more confident in his ability to – uh, do that with consistency so um I, i'm i think he's probably one of the players we're most curious about what his role looks like this coming season and how they can use him and find opportunities to get him involved um and uh, like you mentioned like sharing time with isaiah Fosky, what does that look like um will they be asked to do like the same things when they're out there or will it be different looks as um i can I mean, see them out there together in some right instances. yeah yeah so i think uh Marcus Freeman likes being versatile and likes having lots of different options, so um, that, that may impact a lot of the statistics for individual players on this defense, even though it may be benefiting the whole defense in the, in the long run.
0: Next one I have is Will Kahanukia redshirt. That one's tough because I think if they do it, it's not – I don't think there's going to be an intention to redshirt him. We still don't know for sure whether he's going to take his – mormon mission um and if he does he would probably take it you know in the winter uh so he would come back two years later it would seem silly not to get get some playing time under his belt and and get him ready they also are thin at viper you know they're looking you know experimenting with him at viper and so i could see them you know just trying to effort to get him in some of the games the thing is You know, once you get past the Purdue game, there's probably not a lot of opportunities until the end of the season. So I'm going to say accidentally he will redshirt. He'll only play in four games. But (laughs) I I feel like I could be very wrong about that one. Uh, I thought thought you were going with no with where you're headed. Well, I mean, as a linebacker, I don't think he had a chance to play in four games with all the linebackers they have. If if he gets some viper time, then uh, you know maybe this changes. But I I say yeah, he's going to redshirt. I'm going with redshirt. To me, the 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 area that I thought that he maybe might
1: not redshirt is if they saw a role for him on special teams and, and that he would be a valuable contributor there. But they do have enough linebackers and even the starter at the starter level or and guys that'll be playing with the first team defense that I think. Um, there isn't as huge, big of a need on special teams for a guy like Kahanukia, but um, we'll see what Brian Pullian has to say about that. Um, Cause I'm, I know he wants to get as best uh, of a representation on those special teams units as he can, but they probably also don't want to uh, burn a year of eligibility for him. Although I'd be curious if they like approach that differently because of the, of a mission coming in the future. If it's like, well, do we really need to save a year for him if he's going to be a very old college football player in the future anyway? So um, I'm going to go ahead and pencil him in for a redshirt year, but certainly wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't redshirt. Last one I have for us, Eric, is will Notre Dame
0: sign a Hawaii recruit in the 2023 recruiting class? Well, you know, the only 2023 top 250 Hawaii recruit right now is a kid by the name of Iopani Lalulu, uh, He's from Honolulu, St. Louis. He's an offensive guard, 6'2", 357. Um, he's in the top 100, actually. No ND offer yet. And in the 2024 top 100 that came out today by 247, there's not a top 100 player in that either. I think, you know, and, and Notre Dame hasn't always gone after top 100 players or top 250 from Hawaii. They found these kind of hidden gems out there. I don't want to rule it out because uh, I think the Hawaii kids in the 2023 class have been underscouted because of COVID and because they didn't have a season really last year. Um, So I think once they play games this fall, assuming that they do, then they're going to pop up on radar. You're going to see some really good kids. And you're going to see some kids rise into the top 250 or certainly rise onto a lot of the mainland team's radars. But since there's not already that kind of tracking of a kid, I'm going to say it's less likely than likely. So I guess my answer is no. I uh, Since you tried the
1: one Hawaiian kid's name, I will try another one that I believe is at least on Notre Dame's radar. And that's Leona Lee Fow. Um not, though I may have said it it the same way I say Leofau, uh, not spelled the same or I assume not related either. Uh, But he's a four-star linebacker on 24-7 sports. But like you mentioned, there are probably a lot of guys that haven't been discovered because of the lack of a a season last year for kids in Hawaii. And
0: not a lot of them coming on their visits too. I mean, it's expensive to come on an unofficial visit. Right. You know, and it's also expensive – you know, it was tough to come to camps. I mean, when the camp flood opened the summer, I don't think a lot of Hawaii kids got that opportunity. Right. No,
1: I, I wouldn't think so. But I, I believe this kid, the one I mentioned, is at least on the radar of, of Brian Pullian, um, which is obviously the guy who you want to be on the radar of when it comes to being a Notre Dame recruit. Um, but uh so there's, so there's probably some names beyond those two that we mentioned that could pop up. Um, but I also... I, I think there's probably an opportunity for for Notre Dame with Brian Pullian and the connections that he has in Hawaii to maybe take advantage of maybe guys being under-evaluated, under underscouted due to these specific circumstances. Well, I mean, I think there has has already been that opportunity um, with with Notre Dame with these guys like Maris Leifau. I think he's probably going to be a way better player than he was pegged as a as a recruit. Um, so I, I'm going to go with yes, um, even though the Notre Dame hasn't offered any yet. Um, just seems like uh, going a couple years in a row without a Hawaii cr- recruit um, doesn't seem very likely, although it certainly wouldn't be crazy that if it wouldn't happen. All right. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Yeah. Everybody's that you guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hansen NDI. First one I have, Eric, is from Scott Reed at Greedy1967. From what you've seen or heard, does Jack Cone throw the deep ball better than Ian Book?
0: Well, from what we've seen, um, which isn't a ton, but we have seen, uh, he seems less hesitant to throw it. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, in, in practice that we saw last week, he was, you know, throwing them a lot of deep balls down the field. Uh, did I go, wow, that's better than Deshaun Kaiser? You know, no. Okay. Was it better than Ian book? I I don't know. Book just, just seemed more unwilling than he was unable. Um, but I don't think either of them are going to make a living being the deep ball guy. I think they're pretty comparable. I guess if I had to, um, Flip a coin, I would say Ian is probably better in the short game and maybe Jack is a little bit better than Ian in in that deep ball.
1: Yeah, I I haven't seen enough yet to feel totally confident either way. Um, But I am sort of anticipating that Jack will at least be slightly better at at throwing the deep ball than Ian Book was. Um, But I think it's important to remember that we don't know all Jack Cohn's flaws nearly as well as we knew Ian Book's flaws because we saw him play quarterback so much. So um, while I think that Jack Cohn has shown reasons why he'll be better at it, I think just his size alone and his willingness to stay in, in the pocket will give him more opportunities to throw the deep ball, um, we need to see it executed in games before we can sort of feel certain like, yes, Jack Cohn is a better deep ball thrower than Ian Book. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. How do you feel Tyler Buckner is developing so far? Is there a legit battle for the number two spot? If not, with Clark and Polish injured, will he be relegated to the scout team? And if he is, how do you think that
0: will affect his progress? I, I would think Notre Dame is really happy with the way Tyler Buckner is developing. I think kind of the expectation coming in was that, you know, not having a senior high school season, there would be a lot of rust and there would be a lot of just, Um, kind of remedial work, and I think in the spring, towards the end of the spring, he really surged, and so you started to see what he could turn into, Um, and I think that's earlier than Notre Dame expected that. You know, when we've seen him play, you can see why he's not one or two right now. Um, He's certainly the best runner, the best scrambler on the team, And you can see he has a really strong arm, but you can also see him, you know, tuck and run really fast. You know, he makes that decision pretty quick. You know, he's not playing chess at the line of scrimmage. He's not seeing the things that older quarterbacks see, but I think they're really happy with him. Is there a legit battle for number two? Yes and no. I mean, I I feel like every time I talk about Drew Pine, I discount him. Hmm. But I also believe that Tyler Buckner ceiling is much higher. And at some point that's going to come into play. It's not now. And Pine deserves that number two spot. And the last part of this with Clark and Paulus injured, will he be relegated to scout team? And if he is, how do you think that will affect his progress? Well, I asked both Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese about this. And first Um, I don't know how long Paulus will be injured. Clark, they think is going to be healthy by the end of the month. So he would be able to do a little bit more, maybe run the scout team and so forth. Uh, but when I asked those guys about it, it seemed like they would mix and match scout team and, um, varsity with Tyler. So he does learn the Notre Dame offense and yet he can get some work on the scout team. Um, and certainly when you think about Florida State, the opening game, it makes sense for him to be the scout team quarterback. There's nobody that's going to be um, more like Mackenzie Melton and Jordan Travis than uh, right. Tyler Buckner is. So he would give the ones a really good, I think, look for, for what he's going to see against Florida State. Uh, there's a lot here, Marie, so I'm, I'm babbling. Tyler's probably anxious to say something but I think as long as he's learning the Notre Dame offense, at least intermittently, he's going to be in a position where next spring he can challenge for the number one quarterback position. Yeah, I mean,
1: in terms of the the race for the number two spot, I'm not sure how legitimate that is. I think it's Drew Pine's job. I think Pine was a clear number two in the quarterback competition. Um, and the staff showed some deference to Buckner and calling it a three-man race um when when the when Brian Kelly's uh statement came out about Jack Cone winning the job um not that the, all three of them i think they were all given a chance but i think it was, became pretty clear later on in the process that it was a cone pine race and that even then i think cone was was probably a a decent amount ahead of, of pine in their minds that's why they were able to make that I'm glad you said cone pine race <laughs> rather than pine cone race <laughs> instead of a pine cone race um so but that, to me, that, that doesn't mean that Tyler Buckner's future isn't bright. I, I'm, not, I'm not as concerned whether he's spending the, off, or spending the season with the varsity of, or, the, or the scout team. I, I mean, if he wants to be the starter next season, he can learn the offense while still running the scout team. That, that's a lot. I mean, that's incumbent upon him to make sure that he's learning even in the position drills and stuff and not, not during scrimmage portions of practice. Um, that the scout team wouldn't necessarily be with the with the varsity offense. So um, I think certainly sharing those roles, like you mentioned, makes a lot of sense um, once uh, Brendan Clark and, and Ron Paulus are healthy. But um, I imagine Tyler Buckner starting at the scout team early on it, it w- will be the likely outcome. Next one I have is somewhat similar from Wayne Usterhoff at W. Usterhoff. Should this be the season to keep both Buckner and Pine up with the first team and let Paulus run the scout team? Or is it more valuable for Buckner to run the scout team and go against the number one defense? I'm sort of curious that the latter part there. Like, do you think it's more valuable for Tyler Buckner to,
0: to be on the scout team? Is, is there value in that for him? Well, you know, I think every situation is a little bit different. And I've been critical of Notre Dame at times putting a player. As the scout team quarterback exclusively, mm-hmm. then when he gets to the following spring and is supposed to compete for the starting job, they're saying, well, he doesn't know the Notre Dame offense. And that's what's holding him back. And then uh, you think, well, that wasn't very good planning. <laughs> um, so, but in Tyler's case, I can see him getting, you know, at least runs of scout team at time makes sense for his development. In that he again he didn't get um, a season last year. He's only played one season of high school ball, and then you know he's getting third team reps. So I think getting any reps, especially against really good players on the number one defense, I think a taste of that in his situation makes sense. So I would I would vote for that. But if all he does is a scout team quarterback, then I think it it really puts him behind in the race to be the 2022 starter. Yeah, I,
1: I I can buy into the argument that he needs some scout team reps because he's played such a little high school football. I think there is value there. Um, he needs to get those reps, and he's just not going to be able to get some. Whether he's considered the number two quarterback or the number three quarterback in Notre Dame's offense, I'm not sure that during the season he's going to get a lot of valuable time um, to continue his, I guess, physical physical growth as well as learning about the, the offense. So, I, I, like I mentioned, I, I do think there are ways that he could be preparing himself and learning the offense that wouldn't require him to be full-time on the varsity. And I think that's what Notre Dame should and probably will do, um, as you mentioned with, with how Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese have sort of answered those questions you've asked them about the scout team situation. Next question is from at Nick Planton player who has most surprise during fall practice and game that scares you that people might be
0: overlooking. I think there's a handful, nobody that other than Joe Wilkins, that's really has a chance to maybe start. And I, I guess he's less of a surprise because they've been talking about him since the start of fall camp. So when does the surprise line start? I guess. <laughs> But I'll, I'll mention some other guys that I think will surprise or have surprised: is Howard Cross, um, Nana Asafa Mensah at defensive end, uh, Diggs the freshman running back, Joe Alt the freshman offensive tackle, and uh, Michael Carmody the sophomore offensive tackle. Again, I'm not, sometimes I'm not plugged into who's surprising the fan base, but I guess. I tried to maybe more. Those were my surprises. Yeah, and then there was a which I'm going to be frightened about something about one game, (laughs) the game that people might be overlooking. Oh, people might be overlooking. Um, I'm not sure that I get scared about them, but uh, I know what I know what you're trying to say there. I would say probably the scary game for fans that people might overlook. Toledo is going to be the best team in the MAC. And Notre Dame is going to play them on a short week. And I think that's going to be a little bit tricky. And then I think maybe the Virginia Tech game in the middle of that, Wisconsin-Cincinnati-USC-North Carolina stretch, being at Blacksburg, you never know what you're going to get from Virginia Tech. They're either exceedingly, surprisingly bad or surprisingly good from week to week. It doesn't seem like they're ever exactly what they're supposed to be. So that might be kind of a trap game. Those would be the two for me. Yeah, I think
1: in terms of the game, Notre Dame's schedule is a little bit funny in that, like, there's four clear tough opponents, and then after that, there's just a lot of teams. It's like, well, maybe they could be frisky. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think you could you could pick from another, like to me, the Florida State game is the one. I don't know how serious people are taking Florida State, but um, the timing of that game for Notre Dame at the beginning of the season, when, with having so many new pieces in place. Not an easy place to play. What if McKenzie Milton makes a few big plays early and that crowd really gets into the game? Like, that could be interesting. Um, I mean, if we're talking about one that people aren't thinking about at all, I, I think Purdue, Purdue has some really talented players. They might not have a lot of them, but David Bell is great, one of the better receivers that Notre Dame will play against all year, and George Karloftis is one of the better defensive ends that they're going to play against all year. So um, those two alone can make things interesting. Now I don't I don't necessarily think that Notre Dame is going to lose that game by any Stretch of the imagination, but um, it's college football. You really never know, and Notre Dame's done a pretty good job of avoiding those uh, holy crap upsets as of late. But um, maybe with such a sort of a strange team coming into this year, maybe they're more susceptible to that than they have been in recent years. As for player who surprised me the most during fall practice, I, I might have a better answer following Thursday's practice, which we get to watch the full practice of, but. The two guys that jumped to my mind were, were Michael Carmody, who I know you mentioned him playing left tackle with the starters, even though obviously that was only because Blake Fisher was out. But the fact that they were willing to put him in there in his place um, spoke highly to what they think about Michael Carmody. So that was a bit of surprise to me. Um, and I thought he, he handled the, the assignments well that day. Um, and J.D. Bertrand being in the mix for real playing time surprised me a bit as well. Um, and so those are probably two of the guys that have surprised me somewhat so far. Um, this camp. Next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. I think Maris Leofile is going to have a breakout and a monster year. Sounds like he could play across all the different linebacker positions. Do you get the sense that is the type of linebacker Marcus Freeman prefers in the system? One who can play multiple spots.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's mentioned that from day one that he wants linebackers to, to cross train and, and uh it seems like a lot of them have, and it seems like Marist has actually seen uh, or, or might see action at three different linebacker spots. Maybe he hasn't played middle linebacker yet, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, his versatility is certainly something that's welcome. And you get the sense from Marcus that the depth chart isn't uh, isn't vertical, it's more like the offensive line depth chart where you're going to take the next best guy, whatever he plays sometimes and plug him into a hole. I think that's what they'll do with the linebackers. But I think he has big play potential. I mean, I think you're going to see tip balls. You're going to see tackles for loss. You're going to see forced fumbles. You know, I think those are the kind of stats we're going to see from Maris, no matter where he lines up. And he's so good in coverage that, you know, he is guys that are kind of rotating in there, it's difficult to say, yeah, you yeah, know, take a rest there, Marist, um, because I think he is one of their better cover linebackers.
1: Yeah. Like you mentioned, Marcus Freeman really embraces versatility both on the defensive line and at the linebacker level. Um, and uh, the other day, he mentioned that almost everyone has played Mike and will linebacker Um that, it's, is one of the, uh, that is a linebacker option with the exception of Drew White wasn't playing any Will linebacker and Maris Lefowl wasn't playing any Mike linebacker. Um, the difficulty in playing like all three spots is is being able to play Rover, but I think Maris is someone who could do that. Um, and I also think sort of in, in the reverse, Jack Kaiser could do the, the same where he he's playing Rover. I think he could play inside as well. Um, so I, I do think that Marcus Freeman values that and, we're probably going to see more of that from the linebackers. I think also like guys who can pass rush from the linebacker level as well, I think are guys that he's going to value as well. And that's something I think uh, Marcus has praised that um, Maris Leofile can do as well. Next question is from at UND underscore Clancy. Is there anyone on offense that's going to block like Tommy Tremble did for
2: us?
0: My suspicion is no, but I don't think um I don't think you're gonna have a lot of terrible tight end blockers. I, I, you know, I think George Takas has come a long way in terms of both being able to catch the ball and block. Um, in talking to Michael Mayer today, you know, I asked him he he really wants to become a better blocker. That's become a priority for him. He said, you know, when he was in high school he could block with terrible technique and just mash people. Right. And he's had to learn the proper technique. But he called Tremble the best blocker he's ever played with. And when you think about the fact that there's three guys that got drafted pretty high in the NFL draft that were on the offensive line last year, <laughs> uh, that's that's a pretty good statement. Tremble got drafted high too. Um But I mean, every time that Notre Dame played on TV last year, which we saw all the TV feeds because we covered so many games with Zoom, um, you know, they just went crazy about Tremble's ability to block. So maybe not at that standard, but I think you'll still see some good blocking. And I think Michael Mayer will be one of those people.
1: Yeah, I asked a question that was inspired by this of Tommy Reese actually earlier today, and he didn't. I asked him if there's if they can they have anyone that can sort of do some of the things that they had Tommy Tremble doing in terms of where they were aligning him and what the blocking assignments that he was given, and he didn't pinpoint any single person that would be used in the same way as Tremble. He praised Tremble for being that sort of that special player that could do those things that he did. Um, so they're looking at using guys in different ways to make up for that. Um, well, I, I, I don't, I don't have a great sense of sort of the blocking capabilities of those backup linebackers beyond Michael Mayer. I think George Takis has had some opportunities. Um, I'm not really, sh- I don't have a great sense of what Kevin Bauman or Kane Barong or uh, Mitchell Evans can do, um, like that. So I don't know that we're going to see a lot of similar usages of, of, of a tight end like Tommy Tremble was used last year, but I think they're going to find ways to to make up for it. And I do know that they like those, those younger tight ends are just not going to be quite the same as Tommy Trumbull because what he did was pretty unique. Next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ 6008. Is there any chance they would stick Kyle Hamilton at wideout for a few plays, particularly in the red zone? And should they?
0: Well, I think there's certainly that chance. I mean, there's a lot of talk about it that Notre Dame's not going to, um, acknowledge it at this point it makes sense for people to have to think about it I mean if it if he's going to do it him being a surprise makes it work better um but my sense is that probably we won't see it um just because you know I guess if he got hurt on an you know playing offense yeah then you lose him at his role that's would seem pretty silly uh, so I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they have enough red zone weapons with their tight ends and, uh, with Kevin Austin and, and, uh, some of these other guys in the red zone. So my answer would be no, I, I don't think they should. I don't think you, you need to push that. If you were, I guess if he were up for Heisman and you wanted to give him a little bit more, um, more of a chance at that, you might do that a little bit, but I think I think it makes sense for him to just play safety and have a podcast.
1: Yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't think they will or should. I, um, one of the issues is like if you're going to do this with Kyle Hamilton, you need him to practice it. And practicing jump ball catches is is kind of dangerous. That's how Cole Komet broke his collarbone a few yeah. years ago, um, and that's basically what you would be asking Kyle Hamilton to do, especially in the red zone. I don't know that you're I don't know that people are imagining like Kyle Hamilton catching quick slants and taking the ball and running. Not that he couldn't do that. I think people are like seeing his height and his leaping ability and imagining what he could do as like a a, a catcher of fade passes. Um, and so I, I just think he's way too valuable to the defense to to sort of risk that. And if you if you can't get to me you, it, to me, it's the coaching staff's responsibility is to get guys on the offense to play that well at, at receiver. Rather than trying to get Kyle Hamilton to do it now, I think he, he could be successful at it, and would it be fun to watch? Absolutely, but I just I'm not sure that the risk is worth it um, because of how much he means to the defense. The, the, they just they just don't have a great safety depth chart. It's not like you if you lose Kyle Hamilton, you're going to feel really great about what you have coming in behind him. So now you could probably say that about anyone that's as good at, at what they do as Kyle Hamilton, but um, it's just a it would be a tough situation if that was something that were to happen and you lost him for some time. Next question is from at coffee, dark roast. Uh, It's a little bit of a long one. So bear with me here. Seems like the past few years between high ranking recruits at wide receiver and running back running backs, didn't choose Notre Dame except Chris Tyree. Even though the running backs coach is well-liked there's all Americans on the offensive line and the quarterbacks were just okay. Why isn't Notre Dame closing on these running backs? And he uses, Dallas Hayden as an example um, when they are closing on talented wide receivers and, and um, with Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams being the
0: examples, what are we missing here? Um, Well, uh, I think we're maybe looking at this too short-sighted, you know, with the exception of Chris Tyree, boy, that's a big exception. <laughs> yeah, I Yeah,
1: it's like yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, well, why do we get to count Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams if we don't get to count Chris Tyree? Like it seems
0: like a little bit unfair. I mean, that you're talking about one of the fastest players in college football in his class, and a guy that was a high four-star prospect that they had to beat a lot of teams out to get. Um, and and his presence on the roster may dissuade some guys too. You know, he's got this year and at least one more year on the roster and, and knowing that maybe that, you know, scares some people away. Um, You know, let's, let's look at the cycle. So last year they put all their eggs in the Will Shipley basket. And I, you know, if there wasn't a pandemic, I'm not sure that Notre Dame doesn't win that over Clemson. Uh, Will is from the Carolinas and decided to stay closer to home. Uh, and then they got, you know, late in the cycle, they were able to get Audric Estime and Logan Diggs, um, and I think, you know, just based on what we've seen, and Estime was a top 150 player, right? So that that was a pretty good player. And then you look at this cycle, and very early they were able to get Jadarian Price from Texas, you know, a smaller back um, with a lot of versatility, and he's a top 250 player. And then they went after three guys. They went after Dallin Hayden, Nicholas Singleton, and Gavin Sawchuk. They got all three to visit. You know, before Lance Taylor got there, you weren't getting anybody like that to visit campus. There was a, a big drought of four high four-star and five-star guys even coming to Notre Dame to visit. So getting on campus, I think, was good. I think that Notre Dame needed to kind of make a read. I, I mean, Sawchuk ended up not coming because they thought they had Singleton and then Sawchuck was pretty close to Oklahoma, but he was scheduled for a visit. He had agreed to a visit. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Notre Dame misread that. Maybe they should have put their chips in on Sawchuck instead of Singleton. Um So, and you never know. I mean, maybe it, late in the cycle, Singleton gets cold feet and maybe reconsiders Notre Dame. So I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry too much about running back recruiting right now. I think Notre Dame's evaluating well and they're getting guys on campus and eventually they're going to hit very well. And right now, when you think about the top of the depth chart, you know Kyron Williams is a preseason All-American on some of the teams and Chris Tyree is really, really talented. I mean, he's one of the best 10 players on Notre Dame's roster. So I'm not too critical of it at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I found it very funny that we are comp- comparing running back and receiver recruiting when folks were complaining about wide receiver recruiting <laughs> two months ago uh, about how 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 much how much uh, Dell Alexander needs to improve his wide receiver recruiting, and then all of a sudden uh, he's got two really good wide receivers that are recent commitments, and now we're wondering why Lance Taylor isn't recruiting as well as him. <laughs> so. Uh, I think it's a bit of an unfair comparison. I mean, one, I mean, you get to take more wide receivers than you get to take running backs, so the the hit or miss rate is sort of magnified a little bit more at the running back position. Um, but I think, I mean, there's reasons like Nicholas losing Nicholas Singleton to Penn State hurt, but Penn State has produced Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders starting running backs in the NFL um, in recent years. Where whereas Notre Dame's best backs of late are, are Josh Adams and Dexter Williams, and they haven't done a lot in the NFL now. That's not the only reason that people are making decisions, but these are all things that are working against Lance Taylor um, at Ohio State, whereas Dallin Hayden chose to go. Tony Alford is basically getting whoever he wants every year. Um, so while Lance Taylor may be a good recruiter, he's not at that level yet. Um, like you mentioned, losing Will Shipley to Clemson um, was was a tough loss. I think they, I think Lance misplayed that and sort of how he went about um, sort of going all in for one running back and having to scramble later, though I think it sort of worked out in the end because I, I think we all like Logan Diggs and Andre Gestime. Um The painful part of it right now is that Will Shipley is like the, the talk of Clemson's preseason camp, unfortunately, so it sounds like uh, he was the real deal. Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot to play out there still, but um, it seems like that that one's going to be a tough tough loss for Notre Dame. Um, but I, I just think we're not giving – or maybe not we um, – this question – specifically at Coffee Dark Roast, isn't giving Lance Taylor enough credit for the running backs he has signed, like I mentioned. Diggs and Estime are, are solid guys that um, I think could turn out to be good college running backs, if not great college running backs. And Jadarian Price, someone that Notre Dame already has committed in his class, is overlooked, partially because he committed early. Um, and sort of those guys that you mentioned afterwards, they were looking to get someone else like those guys to pair with him. And I, uh, the, the new Rivals 250 was fresh in my head because I wrote about it yesterday. Um in the Rivals 250, guess how many spots separate Dalen Hayden and Jadarian Price? You got a guess for me here? I'll say 20. Three. Dalen three. Hayden is three spots ahead of Jadarian Price right now. So Jadarian Price isn't a slouch, even though uh uh he committed to Notre Dame early on and, and Notre Dame didn't lose out on him to Ohio State or Clemson. So I think uh certainly there's room for improvement there. Um, but to to question Notre Dame's efficiency at running back, it was like they're going to be in a, you know, a tough spot in a couple of years. I don't. I don't think that's that's necessarily accurate.
0: I had a laugh because when you said the word "slouch," I thought about the Caddyshack line from Judge Mails, where he said, "And I'm no slouch myself." And <laughs> Ty Webb says, "Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch." <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next question we have is from
1: Adam Hanaski at CPU2015, another recruiting question. Is there any concern with offensive line recruiting now that Billy Schroth is treading towards Wisconsin? For all of the four-star interior commits under Jeff Quinn, we are starting a 290-pound center at guard and had to take a Marshall transfer. Next year looks equally questionable after
2: Spindler. Well,
0: uh, I'll qualify the first part of that um, take a Marshall, Marshall transfer. You're talking about one of the best interior alignment in the country. Yeah. That's so, describing him that way is extremely dismissive. Right. Right.
1: Cade, Cade Madden is just, isn't just a Marshall transfer. He's a right. second team all American
0: Marshall transfer. And when we were talking to, um, Tommy Reese today, he did not seem to have concerns that, uh, Z Correll was undersized. He felt like he would, you know, he's has the strength to hold up at that position. I guess we'll see here shortly. But I mean, Aaron Banks was a big guard. I mean, not every guard is 320 pounds. Um, and if and if Z can bring it with the strength and bring it with a leaner body and maybe bring more movement, um, you know, I, I'm open to that. So from that standpoint, I, I'm not sure that. You know, and, and certainly if he can't, Rocco Spindler is there and Rocco is neither 290 pounds or, um, you Marshall know, Marshall transfer or Marshall ta- transfer. <laughs> so, but, but as far as like the offensive line recruiting, let's see how this cycle finishes. Shrout has gone back and forth so much. And I do believe, you know, from what I've read, because I haven't talked to him that maybe Wisconsin has the upper hand, but he hasn't made a decision yet. Um, Amo Wagner is still out there as a, as a tackle. And I think he's a guy that could play guard and he's a really talented player that Notre Dame wants and would have to beat Ohio state among others to get. So let's see what's going on there. But in terms of big picture with offensive guards for Notre Dame, I mean, in the future, you know, you're going to lose Madden this year. Dirksen could come back. Uh, you have Quinn Carroll, Inside, you have Andrew Christoffek, who's been taking some snaps at center, but he could play guard. I mean, Carolyn and were pretty highly rated come out of high school. You have Rocco, um, maybe one of the tackles, ends up as a guard, moves inside and plays some guard. Um, And then you have Joey Tonona in this class. You have Ty Chan, who I think is going to end up being a tackle. And then you have Ashton Craig. I guess he could play either spot. He's not a guy that has a big name, but I think they feel good about his potential. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not as concerned about it. I I think, yeah, they swung and missed at some guys, but I mean, you look at that position group: offensive tackle, offensive guard, and center. There's a lot of top 100 players, a lot of four stars and a five star in that group. And again, you know, a lot of guys that come to Notre Dame as tackles end up at guards and end up really good ones. And Quentin Nelson was one of them.
1: Yeah, I think uh, to echo, I, I agree with you on the Caden Madden thing and, and that people are way too worried about Zeke Corral's weight, in my opinion. I, I think uh, watching, watching him play is way more important than the number on a scale when it comes to, c- comes to how good he's going to be this, this season. Part part of this is, I mean, here he stands 2018 class didn't pan out and that left some holes in the depth chart. John Dirksen, John Dirksen, excuse me, is a he stand recruit and he hasn't been able to crack the starting lineup. Cole Mabry was a he stand recruit. He medically retired. Now he was probably going to be a tackle and not a guard. Um, Luke Jones was a he stand recruit who Jeff Quinn was able to hold on to. He would have been a center um, potentially um, and he transferred. And then the one that has stayed and had success is Jared Patterson was a guy that Jeff Quinn signed and recruited after Harry, he stand apart in Notre Dame. So that has made up for that class. The 2019 class has been d- disappointing, which was Jeff Quinn's class and the two surefire tackle prospects, at least in my mind were Andrew Christophic and Quinn Carroll. And those guys are now fighting for spots on the interior. So they're, they're just not better, at least in Jeff Quinn's opinion right now, than Zeke Carell or... Kane Madden. Now, I, 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 it's not surprising that they're not better than Kane Madden. But um, should John Dirksen, Andrew Kristofik, or Quinn Carroll be better at guard right now than Zeke Carrell? Maybe. I really like Zeke as a as a high school recruit, and it to me, like being a center doesn't mean you can't play guard. I, I think that that's sort of um, short sighted a short sighted opinion. So I I, I don't want to be uh, too too worried about that. I think. Um, you're really good. I think you have to like where Notre Dame's headed at with the offensive tackles in the future with Blake Fisher, Michael Carmody, and Tosh Baker right now. Um, and so I don't think it's close to panic time when it comes to offensive line recruiting, whether you're talking about interior offensive linemen or exterior out t- offensive linemen. Um, it's just uh, these are the guys that they feel are the best. And I, I don't know that um, you passed up on a Caden Madden um, if you can get him because of, because of how good he was. It's not, it's not an indictment on Notre Dame's offensive line that they wanted to take a second-team All-American. Last question I have for us, Eric, is from Chris Scheiber at Scheiber43. What should be the color of Irish clothing fans wear home and away? I'll be in Tallahassee in a few weeks, so I'm hoping you say green and help ingrain it in the minds of Irish fans that green stands out anywhere except East Lansing. A cohesive color decision would be nice. Now I know how much you love about jerseys and colors, so this is a question that I know is right up your alley, Eric.
0: Right. My rule is a uh, thumb is and far of what to wear to the stadium from a media standpoint is to have a tie on that doesn't have a spaghetti stain on it, and that's really where everything starts. So you don't want red splotches on whatever it is. You know, truthfully. I've gotten so much and, and I think it's, I, I think this is a reasonable question because for years and years and years, Notre Dame couldn't pull off a color out. You know, right. they, they'd want to do green outs and, and a lot of times they did it when it was cold. So it was a coat out. I mean, people might've had green on underneath, <laughs> but, but all you saw were coats of different colors, uh, until the Michigan game a few years ago where they really pulled it off. So I'm, I, am i you know, Chris, I'm going to assume that you have better fashion sense than me, so I'll I'll vote for green. Yeah, go ahead and wear green to uh, the home games. Wear it to Florida State. Don't read a book in the top of the stadium at Florida State. Um, but yeah, I go for green. Uh, Tyler will be much better expertise than I do.
1: Yeah, the the shirt is green this year, um, so that should make the decision easier. Everyone um should probably have a green shirt um that's a Notre Dame fan would be my guess. Um, and then obviously the people that bought the new shirts this year um will will have green shirts so I I don't think this is a fan problem though I think Notre Dame could do a better job at coordinating and influencing fans what color to wear at home games and then that sort of translates to the road I understand like they they have made some efforts to, in that uh, in that realm in the past but the best way to do it is give away free t-shirts and the Notre Dame stuck with this, this dilemma where there's like, they want people to buy the shirt because it's for a good cause, but they don't. So so they're against sort of like giving away free t-shirts to, to be, to color code the stadium. So it will always be a little weird to me that fans uh, are, are wearing green to games when there isn't a speck of green on the jerseys that Notre Dame wears. Um, but I think that sort of captures why this will never be solved. There's no really, Cohesive plan of this is Notre Dame's color. Um, even though Notre Dame most most often wears um, navy blue and gold, um, th- there's a third color in the mix, and uh, there's all kinds of shades of gold that could be choose <laughs> chosen. Uh, so I I don't know what to tell you in terms of trying to get everyone on the same page. I would think it shouldn't be that difficult. And uh, like I said, given that the 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 I think the most Popular color is green. I think most fans would probably side with that. Like they w- they would like it to be green. Um, so good luck in your efforts, Chris. I don't know if us discussing in uh, this on our podcast will push it over the edge, but you never know what the power of the pot of gold could be. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We'll be back next week with another pot of gold. Until then, stick with NDinsider.com for all your preseason Notre Dame football coverage needs.